All right. If you're with us this morning, we are on week three of a series we have been uh, going through tackling the topic of justice. And depending on your initial feelings about that topic, you are either really bummed that you missed the first two weeks or really excited that you are coming in on the back end. But either way, uh, we have spent the last two weeks uh, really just seeking to form a God-centered, a Christ-driven understanding of what justice is, uh, of what we mean when we say it. Uh, We have seen that justice is at the core and at the heart of the story that God has been writing with all of creation, with all of humanity since the very beginning. Uh, We have seen how justice is formed and shaped by this kingdom that Christ came to proclaim and usher in during his time here on earth. And so this morning, as we finish out this series, what I want to spend some time doing is seeking to better understand where exactly it is we all fit into this story. How exactly we as people of faith, we as believers existing in this post-resurrection, pre-eternity reality, how we might live out Christ's kingdom here and now how we might become active partakers of God's mission of blessing and justice for all. Now, some of you know this about me. I have yet to meet anyone surprised to know this about me, but I was a cheerleader in high school. And uh, something to know about uh, specifically competitive cheer, it is a team sport. However, it is a team sport that is highly dependent on every single individual on that team being at their just like peak athletic ability for a full two minutes and 30 seconds. It is a two-minute and 30-second sprint where you are giving all of your effort and ability into every last jump and stunt and movement you're given. And if you don't, you not only fail your team, but you might actually also kill somebody. So it's a really great time. Um, But as I did cheer throughout the years, how our years would kind of go is we would spend the whole year sort of forming and perfecting this two-minute and 30-second routine that we would then take to nationals to perform. Uh, And there would always be a day in that year where we'd receive the choreography for our dance portion. And it kind of just became this running joke that on choreography day, it was going to be a weird day. Uh, Our coach, she would always choreograph, and she was a very gifted choreographer, but she would give us the absolute weirdest stuff to do. I mean, things that we were pretty sure were just not physically possible. Like, you want me to do a star jump with, like, my foot up here, my hand here? I don't know how I'm going to land that. Uh, I was doing backwards cartwheels at one point. I was doing this, like, swing dance move with a partner. Swing dance and cheer are not typically things you associate together. Uh, But we, we were ingrained, like we were trained. You give it your all. Whatever you're given, you put all effort into it. And every year, at one point, we'd put it all together. Our coach would film it and then she'd let us watch it. And every single year, as we sat to watch this dance put all together, we would be absolutely floored. It would look so cool. All of these weird and odd individual things that we were doing, having to put all together in this bigger picture, we finally understood why she was having us do these things. And we get up that much more excited to give it that much more our all, because now we understood where these crazy things she had us do fit into this bigger picture. Church, I think for many of us, as we walk our lives with the Lord, as we live out our relationships with him, it can get really easy to get bogged down and discouraged at a lot of just the weird, odd, how is this even possible, what are we even doing types of things that the Lord leads us through or walks us through. I think it becomes very easy to lose sight of the bigger aim, purpose of our work, 
our activity, our lives on this side of heaven. It can be really easy to lose sight of our motivations. Why do we do the things that we do? Why offer ourselves over to God? Why do we follow the ways of Jesus? Why commit ourselves to a body of fellow believers? And I don't want to discredit or overshadow that there are many personal benefits to doing such things. Right? There is a beautiful security that we get to experience when we give ourselves over to God. There is a perfect love and grace that is in store for us as we follow the ways of Jesus. There are beautiful friendships and relationships to be had as we commit ourselves to a body of believers. But for this morning, I also want to begin to draw our attention to some of the greater, far more reaching benefits of such things. For those that were here, we saw week one that God often does great and beautiful restorative work in individual hearts and individual souls, but we saw that he always does such work with a greater aim, a far more reaching purpose that he has been working towards since the beginning of time. And so my hope for us this morning is as we begin to better understand how our individual stories, our individual experiences with God fit into his greater story, his larger mission for blessing and justice of all, we might begin to recapture some of the joy, excitement, and passion I truly believe we as believers are meant to live in on this side of eternity. So let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer, and then that's where we're going to head this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we just spend one final week, God, learning about and reflecting on your heart of restoration, your heart of justice, your heart of all that is good and right and whole, would you just continue to reveal new things to us, God? Would you convict us in ways that we need? Would you encourage us in ways that we need? Would you embolden us in ways that we need, Lord? ensuring we leave this room not only more committed and in love with you, but more committed and in love with your purposes too. We pray all of these things in the sweet name and power of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so if our aim this morning is to better understand how our individual relationships with God fit into his kind of greater purpose and mission, I think a good place to start is where, for many of us, our individual relationships with God, as far as we knew it, started. For many of us, where we would say our relationship with God began is maybe this moment, this time period, this season, this day, it can be a little wishy-washy, who knows, uh, of salvation. Right, this moment where we placed a faith and a trust in who Jesus was and we committed ourselves to him. Now this morning, I want us to understand salvation in the context of a passage that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. It says this, Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what we see here is this both-and nature of our salvation. We see that in salvation, we are not only reconciled to God through Christ, but we also receive what is called here a ministry of reconciliation. We are given a task, a mission, to care for the reconciling of all to God. So then what we see here is that our salvation, it's not a trophy to be put on a ledge, not touched, but for all to see and admire. No, our salvation is a tool. It is given and to be utilized for the building up of the salvation and restoration of the whole earth. Our being reconciled to Christ, it is a welcoming in to his kingdom that we may become its active participants, kingdom citizens that live out its culture for the world to see so that they may be welcomed in too. What we see in this passage is that salvation itself, that's not the good stuff. It's the invitation into the good stuff. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time in it this morning because it's a pretty long chapter, but I encourage you, if you have time this week later today, to spend some time in Ephesians chapter 1. Within that chapter is essentially a list of the things that those who place faith in Christ receive, things that they're given. This promise of eternal life, this being restored in their relationship to God, this union with Christ, indwelling of the Spirit, belonging to his body, it lists them all out and it refers to them as every spiritual blessing. So I think when we take a chapter like that, and we understand it with what we just read in 2 Corinthians, what becomes very clear is that each of these spiritual blessings that we are given upon faith, upon salvation, are given not only for the sake of our own souls, but also for the sake of the world. They are given to sustain and build us up, as well as to sustain and build up our ministry of reconciliation. Now, I think most of us know that there is some sort of others-driven, kind of service-centered element to our faith. But I think often a mentality we can easily fall into is once I get a hold of these spiritual blessings, like once I can fully understand them and live them out and really receive them, then I can offer them to somebody else. Then I can begin to utilize them for the rest of the world. But here's the thing. We saw week one when God gives instructions, commands, rules to his people. He does so not out of some overly zealous authority seeking to control his people. He does so with the intent that all would experience wholeness and flourishing. This includes you. So when when throughout the New Testament we see instructions and mandates to draw near to the marginalized, to put first the poor and the oppressed, to care for 
and draw near to the orphan and the widow, we have to understand God is giving such instructions, such command, not only for the wholeness and flourishing of them, the wholeness and flourishing of our neighbor, but also for our own wholeness and flourishing. Simply put, there is no experiencing fully our salvation, our faith, or any spiritual blessing that comes with it without utilizing such things for the sake of others. Our experience of, our understanding of, our faith, and all of these spiritual blessings, they are made more beautiful. They are made fuller. They are perfected through our love and our service of others. Like a child who is discontent with their work of art until they are able to show it proudly to an adult that they love. So our faith will continue to feel lacking, feel like something's missing, until we are able to share it proudly with those in this world that will treasure its beauty most. There is a broken and hurting world that is desperate for Christ's holistic kingdom that cares and is concerned with the whole of man, that does its best work, its most powerful work from the margins of society, that brings a taste of eternity into the here and now. So church, would we become bold and excited to begin sharing proudly what we know of this kingdom Trusting that whatever discomfort, inconvenience, or difficulty it brings, it will not be considered worthy enough to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in the fruits of our labor. What we're going to spend the rest of our time doing this morning is unpacking some of these spiritual blessings we receive upon faith. And we're going to seek to understand how exactly they are not only given to build us up, but also build up our commitment and our, and our vision attached to this mission of God. The first of these uh, blessings that we receive upon salvation, a, a pretty important one, is our union with Christ. The phrases in him and in Christ appear 180 times throughout the New Testament. This is clearly the early church's preferred way of understanding the new relationship a believer has with Christ upon faith. I'm going to borrow some words from a man far smarter than me to help us understand what this union is all about. In the words of Karl Barth, a man becomes and is a Christian as he unites himself with Christ and Christ with him. This fellowship of union with Christ is the starting point for everything else that is to be thought and said concerning what makes the Christian a Christian. So at the heart, at the foundation of every last spiritual blessing we are given upon salvation is our union with Christ. It is in him, it is by him, it is through him. We receive the promise of eternal life, we receive a restored relationship to God, we receive the ability to live out eternity here and now. So needless to say, there is a lot to be said about this union. 
about all that it encompasses, about all that it means for us, about how to live it out. But how I want us to understand it this morning is what this union does for our identity. Once again, I'm going to borrow some words from someone who can put it better than myself. Uh, Constantine Campbell puts it this way. Union with Christ does not compromise the integrity of an individual's personhood. Rather, a believer's union with Christ allows for a profound identification and sharing with Christ, while not blurring either Christ's identity or that of believers. When we become united with Christ, we're still who we are. Unique quirks and personality traits and all. What changes, what is added, is we now take on Christ's identity too. We take on his character. We take on his heart. We take on his standing before the Father, his sonship. We take on his glorious inheritance. And as it pertains to this series, we also take on his mission. When Christ was resurrected and ascended back to the right hand of God, those that would continue to follow him, to have faith in him, they would do more than simply just act like he did, doing the things that he did in ways similar to him. It was more than that. They would now embody him. They would now be quite literally his hands and his feet, his presence upon this earth. Continuing on his vision and heart, continuing on his mission for this holistic kingdom. This is why in John chapter 14, as Jesus is giving his final instructions and encouragement to his disciples before he leaves them here on earth, he says this, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these. When we become united to Christ, we become united to his mission of establishing this holistic kingdom that has a preferential care for the poor and the marginalized, that is both already and not yet. We continue to form and shape, to work out and exist in this kingdom in a time, a space, and a culture that Jesus himself never would. Our being united to Christ changes everything. It changes our own ability to approach God with perfect love and intimacy. It changes our own approach to our shame, our guilt, our brokenness. It changes where we gain our confidence and stability from. But it should also change the entire motivation and mission of our lives. It should change how and why we do the things that we do. It should change the way that we view our enemies. It should change the way we view and treat the least of these. It should change the way we view and treat power, authority, and privilege. We are given our union with Christ for the sake of our own souls and for the sake of the world.
the more we exist in and act out of this union, the more we are able to receive our own flourishing and the more we are able to contribute to the flourishing of our neighbor. And here's what I also sincerely believe is true. It is not until we decide to fully carry the weight of the flourishing of this world that we really begin to feel an urgency for this union. I think for most of us, if we're honest, when we get into our day-to-day lives, this union, is it really all that necessary? We'll be okay. We'll make it, right? Like, we'll find other ways to meet our needs. We'll find other places to draw our confidence and stability. It is not until we start to carry the weight of our most marginalized neighbor's needs We sit consistently in the fullness of sin's corruption. That we become desperate. It is no longer optional. We have to draw upon and lean into this union. Our understanding of, our experience of, our union with Christ, it is made more beautiful, it is made fuller. It is perfected through our love and our service of others. It will continue to feel lacking, may even feel insignificant, until we learn how to share in its beauty with those that will treasure it most. A few verses down from John 14, as Jesus continues to give his final counsel and instruction, he will reference and make a promise to another spiritual blessing to those that place faith in him. John 14, 16 through 18 says, And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. One of the most beautiful spiritual blessings we are afforded as people of faith is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, much can be said and taught on about the Holy Spirit. Much has been said and taught on about the Holy Spirit, but here's what I really want us to grab a hold of this morning. The Holy Spirit is not a force. It is not an it at all. The Holy Spirit is the very Spirit of God that exists in us. The Holy Spirit is a person as much as Jesus Christ was a person himself. The Spirit is our comforter, our counselor, our intercessor. Was given specifically to be our aid and our source of divinity once Christ ascended and now sits at the right hand of God. The Spirit guides, leads, convicts, breathes life, and sanctifies. There simply is no walking with or in Christ without walking in and with the Holy Spirit.
So if we rightly understand that the Holy Spirit is in fact the very Spirit of God, then as powerfully and as mysteriously as we know the God of all creation works so powerfully and mysteriously, the Holy Spirit works too. The Spirit works in miraculous ways and mundane ways. In bold displays of supernatural power and small moments of gentle conviction and encouragement. The Spirit can work instantaneously, and the Spirit works over the long haul. The Holy Spirit is always at work within us in ways we often forget to notice. One of the ways that he is often at work that is a personal favorite of mine that I'm very passionate about is through the spiritual disciplines and sacraments of the local church. Spiritual disciplines like worship, scripture reading, prayer, fasting, community. Sacraments like baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are the weekly, monthly, sometimes yearly, but always repeated acts of the church that we gather together to partake in with one another. Now, ironically, these are the most kind of ordinary tasks that we repeat so often, it can become easy to forget their power and significance. So it seems odd that we would associate them with the Holy Spirit, who we typically associate with holy tongues of fire, miraculous healings, and supernatural events. But it is actually the very supernatural, miraculous, and holy power of the Holy Spirit that takes these ordinary tasks and makes them extraordinary. It is because of the Holy Spirit that worship becomes something far more than a bunch of Christians gathering together to sing along to their favorite Christian ballad. It becomes a beautiful opportunity for a community to lift their voices as one with the fullness of every emotion and feeling they have toward a God that they fully believe hears and cares and holds it well. It is because of the power of the Holy Spirit that the Lord's Supper becomes something far more than a giant box of plastic cups that I ordered off Amazon two weeks ago. (laughs) It instead becomes a physical representation, a physical experience of that very union with Christ, symbolizing the blood shed, the body broken that made that union possible. It is because of the gift of the Holy Spirit that the most mundane and repeated tasks of the church are actually the means through which we thrive. It is because of the gift of the Spirit through sacraments, through disciplines, that such things are what allow us to be sustained, to be nourished, to grow. Not only in our own relationships with God, but in our relationship to his mission as well. We are given the gift, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, for the sake of our own souls, and for the sake of the world. An author I've quoted up here before, Caitlin Schess, puts these words to it. 
corporate worship, the sacraments, spiritual discipline, and community, these practices form us into the kind of people suited to fulfill our commission to make disciples, witness to the coming kingdom, and live for the life of the world. Caitlin will go on to use baptism as a specific example. Because of the Holy Spirit, baptism becomes far more than an individual event based on a personal decision. It becomes a communal event where in which a whole body, a whole people welcome in and celebrate as a brother or sister joins the family, joins the kingdom, becoming active participants, joining us in our mission and our union with Christ. She reflects on a baptism that a, a pastor she knows had recently done, the baptism of a young black man. And these were the words that pastor had to say about the experience. He argues that when a congregation receives this young man, they are committing to understand how the gospel impacts the various social and political dimensions of his life and to treat any affront to his dignity as an affront to the entire community. If American society tries to treat him like a second-class citizen, we will have to protest on his behalf, since he is our brother and a holy nation of kings and priests. When we rightly understand that the power of the Spirit through sacraments, through disciplines, are given not only for the sake of our own souls, but also for the sake of our neighbor. That is what allows this congregation to view baptism as not only a celebration for this man, a welcoming of him into the family, but as a commitment to a stance on race relations. To offer another example a bit more personal to me, I have a friend who lives in San Antonio, and she works with a ministry that specifically serves those with disabilities. A little over a year ago, she invited me to attend a church service with her, along with a bunch of her friends that belong to this community that she serviced. And I got to say, it was not until that church service, singing and worship, along with my brothers and sisters who are some of the most isolated, ignored, and forgotten members of our body that I think I ever meant or even fully understood the words that we sang to our God together. You are the defender of the weak. You comfort those in need. You will lift us up on wings like eagles. Our experience of, our understanding of, the indwelling of the Spirit through disciplines like worship, through sacraments like baptism, they are made more beautiful. They are made fuller. They are perfected through our love and our service of others such things will continue to feel lacking, will continue to have a void until we truly learn to share in them with those in this world that treasure their beauty most. If you are here this morning 
and you identify as a Christian, a believer, you have placed saving faith in Christ, however you want to put it, all that you have been given, all of it, including your faith and every last spiritual blessing that you are afforded because of it, it is given not only for the sake of your soul, but for the sake of the world. The more we understand this, the more we practice it, the more we actively live it out, I truly believe the greater our love of God and love of justice will become. For some of us, in light of this series, it may be our love of justice that needs to stir in us a greater love of God. We may need to be reminded that without being united to Christ, without this indwelling of the Spirit, even our most bold and humble and selfless humanitarian acts, they will leave us wanting. They will burn us out. For some of us, it is our love of God that needs to produce a greater love in us for justice. We may need to be reminded that until our love and experience of God goes beyond the bounds of our personal lives and our personal needs, it can only grow so far. It can only grow so deep. As we finish out this series on justice, I want to share this quote uh, from the Mexican-American civil rights activist Cesar Chavez. He says, today, I don't think I could base my will to struggle on cold economics or on some political doctrine. I don't think there would be enough to sustain me. For me, the base must be faith. Church, would we recognize that these things that we are afforded because of our faith, these things that we are blessed with, they aren't just because they make us better than everyone else. They make us more powerful or influential. We are uniquely given these things as unique opportunities to live out Christ's mission, God's mission of blessing and justice for all. The work of justice has never nor will never be unique to believers. But my hope is that after this series, what we understand is our participation in the work of justice, that should be unique. Because it is driven by not some political campaign, political activist, any one cultural issue. It is driven by something better, far greater, far more eternal. It is driven by God's mission of justice, by Christ's holistic kingdom. So would we become partakers of justice out of our union with Christ, drawing upon his character, his heart, his mission that is now our own? Would we partake out of the indwelling of the Spirit, allowing him to guide and convict and lead in the most miraculous and also the most mundane ways? Would we become active partakers in justice because we rightly understand it will lead to a more beautiful, a fuller, a perfected faith? Would we love justice? for the sake of the world, and for the sake of our own souls. 
So at this point, I want to invite one of our very own uh, to join me up here as he is going to share um, another opportunity for us to become active partakers of justice. Um, and as he makes his way up, I, I also just want to highlight what he's specifically going to offer us. Um, I think it is going to be highly necessary that we draw upon the things that we heard about this morning. Uh, so with that in mind, let's give it over to Mr. Matt Gary uh, as he tells us about a new justice opportunity. Thank you, Nicole. Crushing it as always. <laughs> Can everybody hear me? Bet. Okay. Uh, my name is Matt Gary, uh, and I'm really excited to uh, speak with y'all about a new social justice initiative that uh, is going to finally be coming to fruition here at Restore. Um, it's an absolute privilege to be up here today. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Um, I'm usually the one writing talking points for politicians and not delivering them, so please bear with me um, as I get through this. So uh, a part of my job uh, is working in criminal justice reform for Harris County, and we have the third largest jail system in the United States. Um, a big reason for that is because for decades we have viewed jails and prisons as a place for harsh punishment and not as a place for rehabilitation and restoration. And so this has led to the United States having 5% of the world's uh, global population and yet 20% of the world's prisoners. And so what can we do about that? There's a lot of public policy solutions and I'm happy to get a drink with anyone uh, to discuss that, but today I wanna talk about uh, the individual and personal ways that we can make an impact. And so uh, we're a small church, um, and when Justin, Nicole, and I were brainstorming about how we can do something about this issue, uh, we thought we could start a letter writing campaign between us and folks who are currently incarcerated. And so we knew there would be folks in the church uh, who could make this long-term commitment on an individual level uh, to build relationships with prisoners here in Texas and so that's what we're bringing uh, here to you today. Um, but where is this whole uh, caring for the prisoner thing uh, coming from? So Matthew 25, if we could get that thrown up there, uh, verse 31. Uh, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another. Just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And what fascinates me about this passage is that, you know, you're, you're, going, you're going through that list, right? And then everything makes sense. You, you know people need water, food, clothes. And then Jesus is like, oh, also, visit the prisoner. And that one always came out of left field for me, because I, I think it's less intuitive. But I love the, the greater context of this passage, because we aren't given a whole lot of specific metrics in the Bible of uh, the tangible ways our faith can uh, express itself and the eternal consequences of those choices. And Jesus is saying here, whatever you do for the least of these, you're also doing for me. 
And maybe you're like me growing up where I'll, I'll do some service activities if I have time. If school or work is dying down, my family isn't being too demanding, you know, then I'll drive Meals on Wheels. Then maybe I'll, I'll mentor a kid who, who needs some time. But I don't think this passage is giving us that choice of convenience because loving the poor is a beautiful mandate that we have. And so uh, we want to be a church that gives you all the tools and opportunity to engage with this work. So uh, I've identified some folks, uh, men and women, uh, who will be in prison for a while uh, that we can begin writing letters to. And so uh, don't worry, uh, we've put together a detailed instruction manual with examples, do's and don'ts, and uh, we've set up a system where everyone will feel safe to participate in this, and we'll do it as a team. And so if this sounds interesting to you, I will be having a training on December 4th, uh, right after church at King's Beer House, uh, where you can come and learn more. And so uh, I'll be sticking around uh, after service right back here to help answer any questions if you have them. Um, and uh, I want to end uh, this by uh, quoting uh, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., um, following up on the Cesar Chavez quote, uh, invoking lots of different social movements today. Um, uh, everybody can be great because anyone can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Thank you. Awesome. So yeah, after service, Matt's going to be back there, um, and he's going to be next to a bunch of information. If you weren't here last week, uh, our new nonprofit partners that also shared ways that we can be partakers of justice uh, through their work as well. So uh, if you missed last week, if you are new here this week, make your way back to that table and find out more information about both. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer as we shift over to uh, communion and uh, a final posture of worship. Uh, a beautiful way to end a service, uh, especially on justice. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I ask that you would just solidify whatever working of the Spirit was done this morning in our hearts. Lord, that it would remain even as we leave these doors, even as we leave this why, even as we go home and go in into our week. God, would you continue to bring reminders of what you stirred in our hearts, of what you encouraged us with, of what you convicted us with. God, especially now as we enter your holy communion table. God, would we have the hearts of our neighbors, the hearts of the world on our hearts as we partake, God? Uh, would this be an encouragement? Would this be... Um, an opportunity that just emboldens us even more, Lord, to join you in your mission, to join you in your vision and your heart as people that love you, as people that are loved by you. We pray these things in the power and the sweet name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>